Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Thrive Co-Living Communities podcast. Glad to have you back, whether you're on YouTube watching us or listening on your favorite podcast station. Glad to have you back. Today, I have Nico Nelson, um, who is has a company, uh, Unbridled Spirits Consulting. He has a deep and wide background in the spirits industry. And he, we, we met in a, a networking opportunity, and I was just so fascinated with everything that he shared. I immediately wanted to bring him on. And about 10 minutes in, I was sorry that we were not recording the podcast because it's just great stuff. But so, um, you know, we have different distinctions with this podcast now, and I put uh, Nick or Nico in the, the category of passion. So this is a Thrive Passion episode. He certainly has awesome qualifications, but uh, he seems just incredibly passionate about the craft. So Nick, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you here. Thanks so much, Mark. Appreciate you having me. So <clears throat> let's talk about, let's start it from a uh, passion perspective. Um, what what led to your passion for spirits? Uh, which ones grab you the most, and um, how how did it all begin? Begin. Well, I was uh, very fortunate uh, career wise to work with uh, an international supplier, Brown Foreman Corporation, for twenty three years or so, um, which. You know, my background was in finance, was in sales, marketing, route to consumer. Uh, I touched all components of the sales and marketing continuum. I'm a born and raised Kentuckian, so I've always been around the bourbon industry. Uh, even in my college days, I had a little uh, consumer, I guess what I'll call uh, research back in college. So I uh, just loved the business um, and had was blessed with working for a company that allowed me to grow as an individual within the industry. Um, like I said, I was started an internal audit on the finance side and then became an analyst and then fell in love with the idea of sales and marketing. They allowed me to progress all the way to a national brand management position with Woodford Reserve uh, Bourbon and Distillery, uh, which that's a well-known brand nationally and actually internationally now. Uh, and then I got some global experience with a vodka brand by the name of Finlandia Vodka. Um, and then spent a lot of time working with our distributor partners, our retail partners on how do we optimize uh, the best way to sell it. Uh, and then upon retiring or taking early retirement, I just loved the business. And I started studying kind of the craft spirits uh industry which is you know these small up-and-comers uh, that have become an 80 billion dollar business these days uh and there's over 2,000 craft distillers out in the uh u.s today um and they're you know there to compete and, you know they're everything from rum to bourbon to vodka they're doing gin they're uh, doing all sorts of uh great things in the craft world uh everything from startups to fully established brands and um, that are, you know, well distributed across the U.S. Some are local, some are regional. 
and given my background, I thought I would, I'd love to just stay involved and help these visionaries and these real passionate guys that are trying to bring their uh, brands to life. Uh, because I've, I think I've, my diverse background really could uh, benefit them. So it's, it's been great to stay involved uh, and learn more about craft. As, as I mentioned, I, I tended to focus on the Brown Foreman portfolio when I was with them and had no idea what was going on in the craft world and until you know about two years ago uh, when I started really studying it and learning and seeing the growth. And the growth has been, uh, I guess, very significant over the last many years uh, to where some of the, the bigger suppliers are starting to acquire these smaller craft spirits so they can uh, play in the game. So it's from a business standpoint, from a category standpoint, uh, from an industry standpoint, it's been very uh, interesting to learn, you know, all the different components of it. So uh, I'm here to help anybody that uh, has passion, vision to bring their brand vision to life. So, and that's kind of what I've been doing for the last 18 months or so. Did the craft spirits industry follow the craft beer industry? Is it uh, lagging, or not lagging behind, but was it the success of craft beers that led people into craft spirits or did they develop at around the same time? Um, you know, actually the, from my experience, I think craft beer is a, has a little bit longer uh, life than craft spirits. Um, and I think, I think, but it's similar passions, right? People are looking for great authentic stories, full flavor, authentic, and actually sense of discovery type brands, whether it's beer or spirits. Uh, they have a lot of similarities that the, the folks that get involved and start it have a massive passion for what they're trying to do, whether it's brewing beer uh, or creating great spirit brands, whether it's, you know, from a brand development standpoint or actually get involved with actually owning a physical distillery and and going from there it's uh been interesting to watch but to your point i think uh spirits probably followed suit to beer and <clears throat> i think you said in our first conversation that you uh did it first did a deep dive into craft beer um didn't you well it was more it was more craft spirits just because here in Kentucky, okay. um, the Kentucky bourbon trail, you know, obviously the tourism is massive and you're seeing a lot of really great brands from a craft perspective, peerless wilderness trail, uh, rabbit hole. And just here in, in Louisville, um, there's a handful of uh, craft distilleries that have popped up to really take advantage of, of the opportunity. And that's, so I've basically, um, started touring a lot of these sites and facilities and, I, and several of my former colleagues have been involved with uh, Rabbit Hole as well as Peerless. Uh, Copper and Kings is another one that's uh, had a lot of success nationally. Bar Sound Bar Bourbon Company in Bar Sound uh, is doing phenomenal work. So just really studying uh, kind of the local opportunities. And then as I continued, I expanded my horizons and started learning about folks that were doing great things in Colorado, Utah, Illinois, uh, Pennsylvania, New York. Um, so craft distilling is, you know, a, a U.S. phenomena. Um, you know, regardless what people say, 
doesn't have to be made in Kentucky to be bourbon. It can be made anywhere as long as it's following the rules of bourbon. So, yeah. Now that uh, crosses against something that I've always heard that it had to be uh, to be bourbon. It had to be Kentucky because of the spring water. So you're yeah. spelling that for us. You can get spring water. I mean, water's a great source of flavor. Um, and there's plenty of limestone water in other markets. Pennsylvania used to be a hub of, um, you know, great distilling back in the pre-prohibition days, Illinois as well. Um, but it, because they had access to uh, clean spring water as well as great, great corn and great grains uh, and processes. Kentucky uh, has become the predominant state. I think I read somewhere 95% of Kentucky's or U.S. bourbons made out of Kentucky. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't make great bourbon in other parts of the country. But the key is then the water, good spring water. And what is, so what would be the difference between bourbon and whiskey other than the spelling of the name? Well, so if you, um, if you break away from uh, the five rules of bourbon, or I guess there's five or six, but uh, the, you know, one being typically, if you're not aged in New York barrels, um, you become a whiskey. Um, if you're not distilled uh, at over, I think it's, or under 160 proof and the barrel at 125 proof, uh, that, that qualifies as a whiskey. Um, so I think that, you know, those are two predominant ones. But to be a true bourbon, uh, you've got to use new oak barrels and be distilled at certain levels um, to uh, be qualified as a bourbon. So um, unique distinction. A lot of consumers don't know the difference. A lot of the, lot of the uh, entrepreneurs and experts certainly know the difference. So what's the most ex what are the most exciting things going on in the industry, whether it be spirits, beer, um, the major brands? What, what are some of the things that excite you as you read industry uh, magazines and, and websites? Well, I mean, just all the innovation that's going on, uh, again, whether it's, uh, you know, the secondary aging process, whether it's bourbon, what I'll call bourbon blending, you've got several brands out there that are that uh, either have distilled their own spirit uh, and then have sourced another type of spirit, you know, different mash bills, you know, whether it's a weeded mash bill, a rye mash bill, uh, they've been blending those and just delivering great flavors. Uh, and then, you know, some of the, the packaging that's out there is uh, very premium in the world of kind of what I'll call the beer world uh, or RTD ready to drink. Uh, which are more of the convenience check packages, you're seeing this proliferation of the seltzers, right? You're seeing a lot of the Trulies and the White Claws. Uh, you're seeing a lot of innovation in that space uh, with Cutwater Spirits. That's actually a uh, spirit-based, ready-to-drink brand, and it's like pre-mixed cocktails, right? So pre-mixed cocktails have become really popular. Um, that's That's a trend that's ebbed and flowed over the years with, uh, you know, malt-based beverages. When you think about Smirnoff Ice 
think, think about Mike's Hard Lemonade, those have been around for a long time. But then there's been this resurgence because of the, the wellness trends with millennials, the convenience trends with millennials wanting uh, you know, unique flavors. And, and so I, there's all sorts of innovation out there to watch and see and experiment. I get introduced to new brands about once a week, uh, just looking around to see what's out there. High Noon is a, a, a real popular tequila-based spirit uh, convenience uh, package these days. It's real big. Uh, in the spirits world, you know, back to you're seeing rum and, and gin, uh, you know, vodkas, every, there's a lot of vodkas being produced out there, but those are tend to be revenue sources for, for some of these small distilleries. But just to see the real innovations that are happening around, uh, you know, the whiskey arm has been great to watch. And it's a, it's a trend that's going to be there for a while. But like I said, the larger suppliers, um, the Diageo, uh, Pernod Ricards, uh, Brown Foreman's of the world are acquiring these innovative craft distillers because the consumers today are looking for unique, authentic uh, sense of discovery, great flavor, great packaging uh, type brand experiences. That's what consumers are looking for today is a, just a real positive experience with a with a brand. Uh, brand loyalty is not as strong as it used to be. So people are there uh, or out and about um, kind of sampling and trying new and different um, categories across rum, bourbon, vodka, related drinks. So it's been really fascinating to watch and, and see how that's evolved in just probably the last five years. Do you think there'll be a consolidation in the industry, sort of like the Cokes and Pepsis that bought out teas and, you know, they, they kept adding to their portfolio. Uh, and do you think that would be a detriment to the innovation? Um, or, or do you think there are just too many of them out there that the, the new ones will keep being spawned as long as there's money chasing it? Yeah, innovation has been a, a major part of uh, you know, supplier uh, portfolio development for years and years. I mean, if you go back and look at the, the vodka category where all the flavors used to come out, um, you know, you know, you've got different brands like Smirnoff and uh, Three Olives. It came out with a new flavor once every few months, but it was, they would have some core flavors that would stick, but this was a way to draw people into the brand. Um, and you know, you know whether the flavor lasted or not, it, it it didn't matter. But you're seeing a lot of that today. Whiskies have evolved into flavor and innovations. You've got cinnamon whiskies. You've got honey-based whiskies. You've got apple. I mean, Crown. You look at some of the major brands out there, from Jack Daniels to Crown Royal, Jim Beam. They're all playing in that space. Um, and a lot of it's to bring new consumers into the brand. So I think it's a it's here to stay innovation wise. Um, but there is, there always is proliferation and then some brands make it, some don't, uh, but there will be continual innovation because it's, that's what consumers want. They want to, they want to try the latest trend and the, and the newest flavor and they're willing to experiment, especially uh, the millennials, which is everybody's target. That's, you know, that's, that's their MO. And I think the 
up and coming generations as well. Uh, my sons are all about trying new and different. So when they're 20 somethings, so that's, uh, I think that's gonna be here to stay. And it has been the case for a long time. Innovation really makes a big difference um, on that front. And from a consolidation sense, um, there's acquisitions. Uh, I just looked up today in the last two years, there's probably been 20 plus acquisitions of different, whether brands, whether it's small distilleries by some of these larger uh, players. You know, Pernod Ricard has been active. Diageo has been active. Um, Constellation Brands has been active uh, in terms of acquiring some of these, some of these brands uh, and taking them to the next level. Locally, Pernod Ricard recently uh, made a major investment in, in Rabbit Hole Distillery, and they make great uh, super premium whiskeys uh, across the board. They even have a gin that's very good. Uh, that distillery started I believe in 2017, uh, so it's fairly new, right? Um, and I think you're gonna to continue to see that trend. Um, what about technology? Uh, is, is technology changing? Uh, you know, it's, especially in the bourbons, it's been a... Yeah, absolutely it is. Uh, a long trend. Uh, yeah, it's technology in a couple of ways. There's some production technologies that are out there um, in terms of some different ways. They're, I think experimenting with accelerated aging processes to try to bring market brands to market faster, especially in the bourbon world, right? Um, consumers are looking for uh, full flavored whiskeys and if there's a way to get those to market faster, you know, that, that's the challenge of bourbon. Uh, people will bring them to market from anywhere from one and a half to two years to four years to eight to 12. Um, and the more character they get out of the barrel, the more flavor it delivers. Um, so there's a, there are some technology enhancements there. Um, it hasn't become the norm yet, but that doesn't mean it's not a future trend. Uh, where I've been seeing the most impact on technology are these on-demand services like uh, delivery services, e-commerce, uh, which has helped exploded during uh, the pandemic. Obviously, everybody was stuck at home and anxiety was probably very prevalent and they used beverage alcohol to, uh, I guess, settle their nerves, if that's the way to say it. But uh, these delivery services started thriving. Um, this one in particular by the name of Drizzly was recently purchased by Uber. Um, and the best way to describe a Drizzly, it's very much like an Uber. It's, it's an application on your phone that connects you to the local uh, retail store and they can deliver whatever you want in 30 minutes. That's their mantra, right? And all they are is a platform connecting you to uh, a retail partner um, and they have a website that lists all the items that are available and carried and um, they were as of eight or nine years ago kind of testing the waters in some metropolitan markets and now uh, they've become a, to my knowledge very much a national presence and if uber's involved you know 
uh, it's going to be a, a pretty big um, advancement. And then e-commerce, uh, you know, you've got retailers who have developed their own websites that you can shop online and pick up if you need to do that. You've got um, direct-to-consumer websites that are out there, especially um, in the wine world, you know, in participating markets, there are limitations there. But Spirits has opened up uh, more so recently, especially for craft. It's, uh, there's quite a few uh, partners out there, whiskeylovers.com, Bur- the Bourboner, um, Reserve Bar, just to mention a few that, you know, consumers can go online and just order it online and have it delivered. For providing the local state you know, laws are, uh, allow that. Right. So we and that was that's been changing some, too. I think in Kentucky, where states have loosened the restrictions during COVID, haven't they? Well, I mean, they there's, and that's not likely to go back. No, there's legislature uh, in place uh, in Kentucky that I think it's going to allow uh, Kentucky distillers to ship to more markets uh, directly. Great for the craft business, if you think about it, right? So uh, one of my clients, we're basically available at retail in Illinois, but we do a lot of social media, um, you know, and reach consumers beyond Illinois. And we've gotten a lot of demand on, hey, how can I get it in North Carolina? How can I get it in Texas? Uh, And once we get our e-commerce up and running, we'll be able to fulfill those needs. More sophisticated uh, Players, I mean, in the world of bigger suppliers, they're putting dedicated resources and talent uh, against e-commerce. It's become like its own channel, if you will. So when I speak to channels in our in this business, you've got the on-premise, which is you know your bar, or restaurant uh, type accounts, and then you've got what we call the off-premise, which is the retailers, the total lines, uh, the Bennies, the, the WalMarts, kind of the bigger bigger players, plus your independent retail stores um but e-premise or e-channel is a whole new place to shop and you can learn just as much about the brands uh you can you know the if they you know as an example you know a project i worked on at one point with uh, brown foreman was we ran a program up in boston and jack daniels where we would run facebook ads with a buy now button and so if it came across your phone, you could hit by now, it would send you to Drizzly and you could have something delivered to you in 30 minutes, theoretically, right? Um, but as consumers have now gotten more comfortable with e-commerce and internet shopping, the, the opportunity is endless, especially in beverage alcohol. And I, and I think when we were looking at that opportunity, beverage alcohol is probably one of the most uh, underutilized categories in that space. I think something like only 4% of, uh, or less than 4% of the sales were in that space. Um, so there's just tons of growth opportunity and you, you have to be very nimble and evolve your strategy. So it is up and coming for sure. Let's pause for a second and let's see. Um, we're at about uh, 20, and I was trying to let it go, but I think you're you're doing something with your hands okay. that's that's being picked up by the microphone. 
almost as well as it as your voice is being picked up. I hit my um, I hit my uh, keyboard a couple of times and sitting on top of my laptop. So okay. Um, pause for. Okay. So Libby, we're picking back up here. So talk about COVID a little bit. Obviously it, it affected on-premises sales immediately. Um, but what it, what's it looking like now? I guess it depends on how the states are opening up, the areas are opening up, but overall, uh, what did it do? Because uh, in-home consumption probably skyrocketed and there was no, I noticed politically, there was no effort to uh, put any sort of cap on the availability of alcohol for people. I think, uh, you know, by the government and everything seemed to be geared towards keeping, keeping the spigots open so that people didn't get too angry about it. So what, what happened statistically with COVID? So several things, great question. Um, so in the onset of COVID, you know, obviously they were shutting down bars and restaurants to limit social gathering, uh, to limit the spread, right? And so they took a major hit uh, for a long, long time. But what was interesting, um, I don't know if it was officially deemed essential, but beverage alcohol became essential. Uh, so we were, when you look at the trends on uh, the consumer takeaway trends for the off-premise, the trends exploded. I mean, they were growing anywhere from 50 to 85% uh, versus the prior year comps because that's how people were getting their goods and uh, off-premise retailer outlets were not asked to close. You know, and we all know that the you know big box retailers certainly uh, you know, the Walmarts, the Kroger's of the world were, you know, essential. Uh, and even the big box liquor stores were essential. So you saw a lot more growth in that front. People learned, uh, you know, at home entertaining and, you know, obviously it's a very stressful time. Uh, so you saw, you know, acceleration in those trends, unfortunately, not probably to the point of where it was break even because there was so much, uh, loss in the on-premise. Uh, on, on average, most of the significant suppliers, or I'll say brands, not suppliers, um, they do about 20% of the business in the on-premise. Um, where it really hurt people were the, were the beer side of it, right? Spirits is a little bit different. So all the keg sales totally stopped entirely. Craft beer certainly took a hit, much harder than anybody. Um, domestic beer and, you know, craft packaging and retail certainly grew. RTDs grew, uh, ready to drink. Sorry. Um, but, you know, during COVID that was, that was what happened. And, um, you know, what you saw in the craft world, a lot of these craft distillers required, or I guess got their, uh, bread and butter by, you know, people visiting their distillery. Right. Well, that all stopped. So that hurt those folks. If you had a good distribution footprint at retail, you benefited. Because um, what was the other thing that was interesting to watch was uh, spirit premiumization. 
price mix, uh, people were buying better, right? They're buying more high end, um, which that's where the craft brands typically sit, right? They sit in the 40, 50, $60 range, some as high as a hundred and they're hundred dollars a bottle. Um, and those, those brands thrive. It was really interesting to watch because we, we watched the news every night and they talk about how bad the economy is. And you look at luxury goods and luxury goods were doing just fine, which was a little bit of a um, interesting, I guess, phenomenon to watch during COVID. Um, now that things are opening back up, um, we're watching the on-premise come back to a certain degree, um, very slowly because uh, again, as you, if you watch the news, um, people are having hiring issues. They're not, people aren't returning to the workforce like they'd hoped. Um, but, you know, in terms of total sales in the on-premise, they're, you know, they're still waning a little bit. But when you look at velocity, which is what I'll call um, your average uh, speed of, you know, of purchasing, that's actually accelerating right now. So that's, that's favorable for the on-premise. Uh, you're seeing the off-premise still grow, um, but they're also going against difficult comps. So as a, if you're looking at a year ago today, you know, the business was uh, in the off-premise on fire and you know, sales were accelerating and now people are getting out and about and doing different things. And so if you look at a, one-year trend, uh, the business is not as strong, but when you look at two-year trends and three-year trends, it's, st it's still unbelievable growth. I mean, I think I saw uh, the business is still up, you know, almost double digits uh, in the retail part of the uh, business. And over a two-year period, three-year period, um, you know, it's, it's, so people are still, you know, COVID is still with us. So there's still, uh, I imagine a lot, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, um, and beverage alcohol has been, you know, uh, a, so, a way to, as a social enhancer to, you know, hopefully make, make people, um, I guess, deal with kind of their stress levels, if you will, uh, to, a, to a certain extent. So um, those trends have, uh, are still thriving, um, even somewhat post shutdown, because I would still say we're still in the, we're on, say, we're on the back end of the pandemic, but still have some issues, um, being on the market. You know, another, another part of it was that I don't think it ever happened before is restaurants were allowing people to take wine, bottles of wine, uh, purchase that, and that helped their sales, especially when they were just doing carryout um, only. And I'd never seen that happen before. Yeah, um, is to go, right? Which in, in normal circumstances, that was not the case. But because carryout became a major way to help these restaurants uh, stay open and thrive during the shutdown, um, you know, and I think consumers started demanding, hey, I'd love a big margarita to go with my, uh, you know, my Mexican fair uh and there was such a demand that that started to be um considered and I, I believe here in kentucky they opened it up um and what's interesting is that conversation is still going on even though things are you know these restaurants are starting to open up there i've seen articles here and there is you know our uh, drinks to go still going to be a trend is that uh still a possibility 
I think we've proven that um, if we do it responsibly and, you know, we're not uh, cracking those beverages as soon as we get in the car um, and we do take a moment and, and enjoy <laughs> That's that's the big issue. You're gonna have uh, some folks that are gonna go against this, but um, if that's a revenue source, and uh, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to watch for sure. I see so many areas, and the people that we're interviewing here on the podcast share so many examples of trends that were already happening that accelerate due to COVID, and it sounds like. There are several of them in, in the spirits industry, and, and they're not going back, you know, like Zoom meetings. Uh, I think people are going to be um, excited at first to get back to networking meetings and business meetings in person. And then I think that I think pretty soon it's going to the newness is going to wear off and people are going Boy, it sure was nice not to have that 45-minute commute each way, and I'm stopping for my dry cleaning, and uh, you know, it, I've got a half a day invested in a one-hour coffee meeting. Um, so I think that's one trend, and sounds like there are a lot there uh, in your industry. Yeah, actually, um, so the convenience of a Zoom meeting. Um, and, and case in point, I've trying to schedule a, a meeting with a, a brewery I'm working with and a marketing agency I'm working with. And I wanted to get them in the same room to collaborate. And they just, because of their schedules, they're like, well, can we just do a Zoom? I'm like, well, I guess. Um, more meetings, some meetings, certain meetings are more effective in person, but uh, that's a convenience uh, play as well. I think people also, uh, because of COVID and the pandemic and, you know, just how, horrible it's been, people, people's values have changed. Um, I think they uh, are taking a, a lighter look at life. They don't wanna uh, be working 24 seven and uh, they, you know, their lifestyles have changed. And I think that's gonna be long-term. It's gonna be you know, the, the nine to five work week or the or work day, sorry. Um, I think it's gonna look a lot different um, and I think you're seeing that also in the uh, trends as well. Mm -hmm. um, I've known several people that worked at Brown Foreman, and um, it it sounds like you know people will joke would joke with them about it being a party atmosphere, but it from what I've the stories I've heard, it really was or still is. Talk about working for a major distillery. Also, drop some other names of the brands for people outside of Kentucky. Drop yeah. some of the other brand names that come that Brown Foreman provides. And then tell us what it's like, the expense account when you go out to be able to buy it for yourself or others. What's it like to be uh, even an executive, not just a salesperson at a major distributor like that? Yeah, well, the great thing about working for Brown Foreman, it was it's predominantly family owned, even though it's publicly traded. Uh, and it was very much about family and it, all about developing their people. I mean, my, my personal story is a great example. I used to tell people I'm the poster child of uh, 
of what kind of company Brown Foreman is because who gets to come in at internal audit and evolve his career uh, and get involved in direct sales, distributor management up in the Northeast, be able to come back and run one of the best brands in the, in the country today with Woodford Reserve uh, and then Finlandia Vodka and then, all, you know, just get a great diverse experience. It's, it's great. It is uh, a bit of a family environment um, because we, we work, uh, work a lot. We play a lot, enjoy, because it's the nature of our industry, right? And so, um, you know, when you, when you represent Jack Daniels and you're representing Eradura Tequila and you're representing uh, Old Forster, which is a, a, you know, the family brand that was started in 1870, there's just a lot of family pride to uh, those brands. And, and, you know, the environment is, you know, we, we did, we put in a lot of long hours. Um, and, you know, because in the sales world, uh, you know, you would work with your distributors during the day, and then you would go out to bars and restaurants and support your retail partners there. Um, and it was just, it was a lifestyle. That's the way I would call it. Um, it wasn't necessarily a job. It was a lifestyle because even when you weren't on the clock, you take your family out. And first thing you did was what we call the back bar scan and look for your brands to make sure they were in distribution or well presented. And, you know, and then you take a note and, you know, if you had an opportunity, you would let your sales folks know. Um, and it was, it didn't matter. Um, I traveled all over with Brown Foreman. It didn't matter, you know, whether it was traveling with my family or traveling for the company. I did the same thing everywhere I went because, uh, you know, I wanted to uh, advocate for my brands, um, you know, uh, because I believed in, you know, everything they offer. You know, again, they, our portfolio has evolved over time. We're not only a whiskey portfolio today, but we have great tequilas with Eridura and El Himidor. Uh, we've got some good cordials uh, with uh, Chambord. We want to make sure that that brand was out there. Sonoma Cotrere is uh, our biggest wine brand today. We have Corbel, which is a sparkling wine. Uh, so it's, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, just enjoyment there because it's a, it's a social business, right? The business is all about relationships. Uh, one example I, I always tell people, and I, I said this last week to my one of my clients, I said, we're all here to make money off that one bottle of uh, Jack Daniels, right? From a, from a supplier standpoint, from a distributor standpoint to a retail standpoint. So why wouldn't you, you know, build a good relationship and do it uh, well together? Uh, and I, you know, and, and, and for the most part, that's uh, what we try to do is build a solid relationship as a supplier, with our distributor partners across the country who then in turn, you know, want to help us out. Uh, and then we also build strong relationships with retail partners. Um, because again, at the end of the day, if they're not selling, you know, our brands, nobody's making money. If that makes sense. Right. So uh, given that it's a relationship and then working, working for Brown Foreman family uh, culture, um, it was very enjoyable. You know, we, we think about the Mad Men days back in uh, the 60s, and then probably, except for the executive, senior executive suite or close to it, probably um, most offices, executive offices, lower level, 
uh, offices aren't decked out with bottles and bottles of uh, spirits in a cabinet. But I get the impression that everybody at Brown Foreman, um, if you had an office, you were going to have a liquor cabinet and you, I guess you, how did you decide whose office to go to after hours for a drink? The ones that were the most fun, tell the best jokes? Well, I think it just, uh, it depended on what, what, uh, what the opportunity was and who you wanted to go speak to. Everybody was proud of their brands and put them on display in their offices. Uh, the early years of Brown Foreman, I would hear stories about the, uh, the bourbon lunches and, and the happy hours that were going on. Uh, but, you know, in recent years, social responsibility uh, was, was probably um, was the, the proper trend. So that we were a little more limited on enjoying our products while at work, uh, if you will. Uh, but Brown Foreman had a policy and they, and they have a, a dining uh location on site called the bourbon street cafe and they actually you know you and policy could order a drink at lunch um they offered you know the waiters would even offer you a drink and it was kind of a drink of the day and um which you know, that was pretty much the limit to it uh you know in recent years they want you to be more productive uh and personally if i'd ever if i had one of those long lunches where we were having a couple of bourbons uh, my bro big productivity would have gone down <laughs> quite a bit so um uh, but but yeah we've you know we've uh, keep it quite social um and i'm not saying there wasn't a rare occasion that we would crack in a bottle uh that might have been on our desk uh given you know how proud we were for our brands cool so i just looked at myself for the first time and i look like <clears throat> it's it's my lighting i look like i'm ill here, let me just give a little light and see, just to show that I'm not green around the gills. Um, well, hold on. I noticed. Yeah, see, I've got a little color. I'm not really green. There you go. It's, it's just the light was coming through. So, all right. Um, I think we're, we're about ready to wind down, but let's have you name your favorites in a couple of categories, and uh, it's probably the tequila since you were in the, was it tequila that you were, uh, and you were national for okay. Woodford and, and? And North America for Finlandia. Okay. So give some of, let, let's start with bourbons, and um, uh, we'll be sure to put these in the show notes. Uh, what are some good, your, your, some of your favorite bourbons, whether they're Brown Foreman brands or larger brands or, or craft distillers? Start with some bourbons for people to taste. Well, um, so my immediate go-to is the one that was the best job on the planet, being the national brand manager for Woodford Reserve. Um, love their distiller select, but they offer a, a wheat-based product. They have um, master's collections they have all sorts of different options to pick from the Woodford Double Oak has become a really favorite of a lot of folks um, I'm also a big fan of Old Forster which is uh, the family's original brand uh, they've got a whole whiskey series out there that they're you know taking advantage of the craft trend uh, and doing different expressions of, of Old Forster 
uh, doing marvelous work on that front. Uh, outside of Brown Foreman, uh, I'm a big fan of Peerless, uh, which they offer a, a, a bourbon product and, and a rye-based product. Uh, and they do single barrels, they're high proof. Um, or actually they're barrel proof typically. Um, they're, they're doing some really mag magnificent work. They're uh, available um, across the US. Uh, there's a distillery out of Danville, Kentucky by the name of uh, Wilderness Trail Distillery that's doing really, really good work. They offer a, a weeded bourbon, a rye bourbon. They do single barrels. Uh, I was, um, they are selling all over um, the country as well. Uh, so those are a few, a few of the bourbons. I mean, obviously I'm a big fan of my number one client in J.K. Williams Distillery, which we have a, uh, a weeded bourbon as well as a high rye bourbon, um, only available in Illinois today. So sorry, folks, stay tuned on getting, getting that, uh, getting your hands on that one. Uh, so those are a few of my go-tos. Um, and I, you know, obviously Jack Daniels offers, which is a great whiskey and Tennessee whiskey. I mean, that's, I think people, uh, don't give that the credit it's due because it's uh, mass produced, but it has a single barrel. That's fantastic. Has a jingle gentleman, Jack, that's fantastic. So, um, I'm, uh, I like all the categories in terms of, uh, uh, the whiskeys. So, and outside of the, the bourbon world, um, if I may, um, I'm a big fan of Eridura tequila. Uh, they, they make a, a silver and anejo uh, that are, have a lot of great flavor. Uh, they are very much handcrafted. They are super premium. Um, and then some of the, uh, we had a brand called Don Eduardo that's very limited in availability. That's very nice. Uh, I think you, you know, you can't go wrong with, um, Don Julio is real popular out there. Um, so, you know, that's, that's some of the, the better, better brands there. Uh, rum, we are limited in our rum ex exposure. Uh, I used to represent Appleton rums out of Jamaica. That's a really good, nice sipping aged, uh, rum as well. And I think, uh, you know, Bacardi does some different things with, they, you know, obviously have their uh, major brands, but then they're starting to do some things with aged whisk, aged bourbons. I'm sorry, rums. Um, but they're actually in the bourbon business too with Angel's Envy. Uh, so keep that in mind. That's another, that's actually an interesting brand that was uh, created by Lincoln Henderson, who uh, is no longer um, with us, unfortunately, but he was the originator of Woodford Reserve. He used to work for Brown Foreman. So it's a, a very close-knit uh, community there. Uh, so, I mean, those are the, probably the categories that I spend the most with. Uh, Vodka-wise, um, vodka is very interesting in that people it's uh, understand it to be tasteless, odorless. It's really not supposed to deliver a flavor profile. I learned very much that is not true uh, with uh, again, the sources of flavor, whether it's your water source, how, how uh, often it's distilled, uh, the grains that you use, because you can make vodka out of it, you know, anything from grapes to potatoes to different grains to wheat. Um, you know, some of the popular brands out there, 
like an absolute that's a that's made from a wheat grain so it gives you a different flavor um stoli i think is uh, uh Naya is a, another type of grain finlandia was a, a six row barley wheat out of finland um you know with glacier water um, so you know vodkas do offer flavors and i think those who drink martinis uh know the difference the the thing with vodka is obviously people use it in cocktails, so the flavors are, are downplayed quite a bit and don't really necessarily come forth in a, in a, in a cocktail. So, uh, but those are, you know, some of the uh, vodkas out there that, you know, are different and unique. Um, I'm not that familiar with the craft vodka side yet, still, still learning there. Um, and then... Gin-wise, I think Ford's Gin out of London, that's a new Brown Foreman edition. Uh, it's basically a bartender's gin is one worth trying. Uh, it's got a, a lot of flavor and there's a lot of innovation going out there with uh, gins as well, which is interesting to watch um, all these craft distilleries get involved in gins. Awesome. That should give people uh, that um, are into alcohol some uh, interesting evenings to uh, do some tastings. So thank you for that. Lots of choices. So please, please enjoy yourself responsibly, I will say. Awesome. Um, give us contact information for you and your consultancy and sort of put, uh, give us an idea of what your, what your focus is um, and, and your website. Sure. Um, so to check out Unbridled Spirits Consulting, uh, you can go to unbridledspiritsconsulting.com uh, and see kind of what our, my capabilities, my experience, a few of my clients that I'm working with right now. Um, I'm fairly new in terms of uh, my, running my own business, staying very busy. Uh, and then so you can reach me at Nico, N-I-C-H-O, at Unbridled Spirits Consulting.com. Uh, and then, or you can reach me through the website. There's a contact section there. Uh, but what I try to do is, you know, bring my passion and experience to help these kind of what I'll say up and coming startups, individuals with great passion as well, uh, who want to develop their brands and bring new brands to life, uh, whether it's uh, through developing or acquiring a distillery on their own and developing what it takes to bring a distillery to life. Or uh, I've got clients that have created brands uh, through sourcing and blending uh, the great labels, great flavors, been wildly successful uh, in their early years, uh, you know, in, in their efforts because they deliver, they've got a great story. They're authentic. They're transparent in terms of their story. Um, and those kind of folks, I, I try to help them think about their distribution strategy, uh, their packaging, their brand development, any, any component of the sales and marketing continuum. Um, I've had experience with, and I can advise, coach, uh, develop strategy. Um, also, I've, I've done almost everything from building business plans for uh, startup brands to develop consumer relationship marketing programs uh, for those folks. And then also understand sales execution, talk about distri distribution strategy. What's the right type of accounts uh, that you wanna be in to be successful? 
with the right partners. Um, I've met with investors um, once we, so I've, I've touched the gamut of everything it, uh, it takes to try to uh, bring a business to life and, and help these folks bring their vision and passion to life. So um, I do it in an unbridled way uh, and it's all about great spirits. Nick, thanks so much. This has been every bit as interesting as our first conversation. You're a wealth of knowledge and combining that with your passion for it uh, just is very compelling. So thanks so much for sharing your story. Um, let's talk over time about bringing you back in, sharing some new brands and, uh, and just some, some more of your passion. So thanks so much for that. Thank you, Mark, for having me. And I, and I really appreciate the opportunity to share my passion because uh, I've been at it for a long time and really love this business. So uh, thank you again. So uh, everybody, thanks for joining in. Hope you enjoyed it. You can support the podcast uh, by going on our website, thrivecolivingcommunities.org. We do have a new sponsor, um, and that's Boxable. Uh, and we're even looking into Boxable as uh, possibly a part of Thrive. Boxable, uh, that's at boxable.com. They are creating a technology sort of like Tesla in that they're, they're bringing robotics and um, uh, rapid uh, iterations and changes to the building industry. They've built a a model, a first model that is 20 by 20 feet and it collapses for, um, for transport into an eight foot and can be pulled by a truck. So we're looking into Boxable as a possible partner and way, uh, as a way to provide the um, the residences for Thrive. <clears throat> so take a look at that boxable.com. And if you use our link and buy one, oh, it's um, 450 square feet and it's $50,000 <clears> plus shipping. So it's a, a an inexpensive and very reasonable and attractive way to have a tiny home. If you use our link, uh, we both get some benefits. Uh, thrive and you but there are many ways to support the podcast and they're all listed in the show notes as uh, is Nico's com um, contact information and some of the brands that he mentioned so please join us again and thanks again Nico for being a great guest thank you thanks for joining us for another great episode of the thrive co-living communities youtube podcast to learn more about our mission and how you can support our vision of creating co-living communities worldwide, please visit us at thrivecolivingcommunities.org. To receive advanced viewings of our podcasts and other exclusive content, find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash thrivecolivingcommunities. You can also learn more ways to support our mission in the show notes below. Amazon Smile, GoFundMe, Kroger, and our own Thrive Gear store, where you can buy t-shirts, hats, and many other items. Thanks again for tuning in, 
and we'll look forward to seeing you again soon.